0: slightly improved possibly I think it'll be fine okay yeah honestly you know uh, we're not going to go all 99% invisible or this American life and have you sit in the closet with a comforter over you to to get the perfect sound in your home non-studio right
1: well I've definitely had uh friends who were you know trying to trying to wrap it Independently, and so they. I know all the. I know all the ways to soundproof your own house. Uh, the bathroom is one. The closet is one. Like you said, you put. You know, you put like a mattress up against the wall. There are definitely ways to do it.
0: Yeah, that seems a little excessive. Uh, I even gave up. I have like four chair cushions here in the office that I kind of array around my desk to kind of deaden the sound a little bit. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, you know, not gone and gotten like uh, sound dampening tiles to put on the wall or anything like that. Uh, But because I have an extra student home uh, because college semester finishing at home, I had to give up one of them because it was needed to go back on the actual chair that it belongs to.
1: Mm -hmm. Look, people don't tune into the D3 podcast for for sound quality anyway, right? If we we got D3 mentality, we got a D3 our podcast audio.
0: I think they come just to hear drops. Am I right?
2: Got a crazy! Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, my gosh! Oh, my gosh, no!
0: Come on, no, no!
3: Football
1: fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan.
0: You've tuned in to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division III football. That's the largest division with the smallest schools. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. My co-host, Keith McMillan, has been involved with the site since 1999. Keith, how many loaves of bread have you baked in quarantine?
1: Uh, Zero, but I have cooked pretty much every day. And uh, and everything known to man, I was making like... Tom yum soup and um, chicken and broccoli stir fry, all kinds of stuff that like, you know, not like, not like these are amazing um, chef achievements, but, uh, but you know, it's not ordering out either.
0: Right. It's the things you don't have time to make because you would be commuting back and forth from work or you just, you have made every meal at home or a meal every day at home for where are we now? 45 days or so. And you're running out of ideas, right? That's definitely how it's going for me.
1: I mean, yeah, but that's definitely where you get the extra time from—the time you're not spending in the car. And uh, by the way, I'm still on the same tank of gas as like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, you get a little time, a little money back in your pocket. I haven't haven't paid a toll on the uh, high yeah. speed lanes or the, the HOV lanes in uh, in, in uh, six weeks. So yeah. you know, there there are very small silver linings in all of this. And uh, you know, the obviously for you. And I and for uh, most of our listeners, hopefully, uh, you know, if we're working, if uh, if we have a, a roof over our heads and food to eat, and we haven't had to uh, take a trip to the hospital, then you know, we got nothing to complain about.
0: Yeah, totally understand that. I will say that uh, with my spare time, I have been channeling my inner Dan Garrett and finally gotten back out there and started running again. He gave me this pep talk. Do you remember on some podcast in the summer of twenty eighteen? And I remember uh, I did not really do anything with that. Um, but now, yeah, I'm, I've just completed in April where I ran for more than 50 miles. And it's like, my oh, that is what passes for entertainment for me.
1: See, on the flip side, for me, I do I do try to get out. There's a pond in my neighborhood. So I try to walk a lap around the pond most days. But honestly, I wasn't that active to begin with. So for me, being cooped up in the house has not been a, a huge hit to my workout regimen.
0: There you go. I hope that everybody out there is safe, as we are in you know week whatever of quarantine and uh, ending the month of April twenty twenty with a uh, podcast number two hundred and seventy four. This is the month in which uh, Ben Bartch was drafted. The St. John's uh, offensive tackle goes in the fourth round, num- number one hundred and sixteen overall, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's the second guy, just the second D three drafty in. Uh, the past five drafts, the previous one, of course, also an offensive lineman who we talked with, uh, Ali Marpet, uh, in 20, uh, we talked with him in February about being drafted in 2015 and uh, being a, a member of the Tampa Bay Bucks ever since. A, a job that has gotten a whole heck of a lot more interesting, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about that draft pick this year. We're here to talk about, you know, maybe a disappointing season in terms of Guys getting signed as undrafted free agents, and we're here to talk about what's next for the sport of uh, football at the Division Three level. You think we can manage to cover all that in about an hour, Keith? Yeah, I think so. All right, well, we'll do our best with that. So we talked about Barch, and um, you know, we've talked about him in previous podcasts. Uh, we talk about the some of these guys already, right? Mason Kinsey got signed as an undrafted free agent by the Tennessee Titans. We had him on our podcast previously Brock Rudder got signed by the uh, San Francisco 49ers and we talked with his head coach on the uh, March podcast Jeff Hector of Redlands going to the Ravens this is a a, a cornerback who uh, got signed uh, into the NFL by the Baltimore Ravens haven't had a, a ton of corners been a while um, but you know it has happened uh, of course uh, Chris Greenwood from Albion uh, Tony Beckham from UW Stout. We are going to talk with someone who can tell us a little bit about Jeff Hector in the course of this conversation. And of course, there's a bunch of guys who are still hoping for a chance to get picked up, but seemed like opportunities were pretty hard to come by this year. I've been texting with one senior who said that You know, the whole uncertainty of whether there would be rookie camps, what they would look like was kind of making opportunities particularly difficult for him. And I would expect that that translates to a bunch of other guys who similarly did not get signed. Yeah, I thought
1: the, the NFL apparatus was so widespread that it wasn't going to have this anticipated effect. On uh, on D three players, you know, we've said it for so long. Like, if you're good enough, they'll find you. But I think the the results of of uh, post draft weekend certainly suggests that um, there it was it was tough for NFL teams to to either for whatever reason to take chances or for them to to find the D three players and, uh, and fall in love the way that you do in that period of March and April, leading up to the draft where you, you get a look at a guy at a pro day, you find out that backstory, you know, when you hear about, you know, Mason Kinsey had obviously been on the radar a little longer and, uh, same with Ben Barch. But when you hear those backstories, a guy who, uh, you know, drove himself to a pro day and, and ran in the rain and turned in a great time or a guy who, um, was a tight end, a backup tight end at that, uh, had to be talked into moving into tackle, and did it for the good of the team. And then drank these uh, crazy protein <laughs> shakes uh, day after day. And uh, those are all things you you would have learned uh, from our previous podcast, or if you'd followed uh, the careers of Mason Kinsey and, and Ben Barch. You know, a lot of D three guys have stories like this, and um, I think when they when when scouts see the the athletic talent match up next to uh, D one and FCS and D two players, and then um, and then they also realize this guy has something special inside him that's made him overcome. Um, I, I think teams tend to fall in love at that point and figure at least least we can do is give this guy a rookie camp shot, if not a uh, make him a, a UDFA, an undrafted free agent signee. Um, I, I thought this was one of the, really going to be one of our great classes, to be quite honest, um, because there were so many quarterbacks that seemed to have an NFL shot. Brock Rutter, Red hot Brock Rutter. Uh, as you mentioned, went to the 49ers, but we haven't heard a uh, landing spot for Jackson Erdman of St. John's, for D'Angelo Fulford of Mountain Union, and those are two of the all-time greats. Uh, I thought David Tamaro, Johns Hopkins, and, um, and maybe Joe Germanario of Ithaca by way of Brockport. Uh, we're also two of the two of the um, quarterbacks who, at some point, uh, had been on a pro radar. So, yeah, I think there's a possibility for players to to still pursue football, and and especially given the prolificness. Well, we'll pretend that's a word.
4: No making up words
1: of uh, pro opportunities right now. You know, you've had. In the past couple of years the american alliance of football and the xfl so i mean you know they're always going to be arena leagues and overseas leagues uh there are opportunities for guys to stay active but i th- i thought there was definitely some surprises this this uh you know post-draft season this year uh, jeff hector of redlands you know I, I don't even know if if he was thought to be the cornerback in the skyak with the best NFL shot until very recently, right? Because Obasi D's of of Cal Lutheran was on the radar for so long. So certainly some surprises. And uh I think we'd have to agree that the way this year shook out with the rookie camps and and the canceling of pro days had an effect on on the D three crowd.
0: Yeah, I think we'll have to revise that. Uh if you're good enough they'll find you. Because if it's good enough if you're good enough, they're gonna have to find you in March or April, apparently, because they did not do anything with basically guys outside of Division I FBS. They didn't find these guys in November and December when they were on uh television in the in the D three playoffs. Um because there were basically just nine non- D1 FBS guys drafted. That was one guy out of D3, two out of D2, and six out of D1 FCS. Uh, So there's uncertainty, obviously, in terms of where the NFL is going and what rookie camps might look like, and that's keeping some of these numbers down. The same sort of uncertainty is uh, plaguing everything right now in athletics and in sports across all spectrums. But, of course, especially in college sports where the big money maker that was the NCAA Division I men's basketball NCAA tournament and Final Four canceled means that a lot of money does not trickle down into D1 conferences and into the D3 budget and that sort of thing. And now we're looking at, you know, what do we do coming up this fall? Neither Keith nor I has that answer. And even when you go to Dan Dutcher, who is the vice president for Division III at the NCAA, he doesn't necessarily know either. Here's a little bit of what he had to say about it recently.
3: All I can say from a D3 perspective, because I think some of the conversations about moving football um, to the spring have uh, originated in Division One, Yes. And, and football because of the revenue we're all plays in Division One um, is a little bit of a different context there. I would say this in Division Three, you know, we emphasize mm-hmm. all all sports are, are created equal. We like to draw all sports as consistently as we can. Um, you mentioned the logistical challenges, and I think that's absolutely right. How you do it. Um, I can't begin to to think about how you do it, but I do know that if it happens, um, you have to recognize the effect that that could have on on winter and spring sports, too. Um, Are there enough fields? Are there enough trainers? Is there there enough tape in the locker room? I mean, there's so many Are there enough locker rooms? Yeah, exactly, right? So I, I don't know how it would happen. Um, I do know if it does happen uh, in Division Three, the conversation is going to have uh, to—it's going to have to make sense within a Division Three uh, uh, ethic, and I'm not sure—I'm um, not sure it, it's doable. To be frank with you, but if it does happen, it's going to be the other way
0: that makes Division Three. That's part of a much longer conversation that Dutcher had with Dave McHugh. It's a great listen for the D3 junkie who has, you know, an hour and 45 minutes to spend. Ain't nobody got time for that. You can find the full state of Division three conversation on the Hoopsville podcast and on the front page of d3hoops.com. Keith, you know, I think we know what D3 staffing is like, right? Um, you know, I think that schools or that the NCAA is more likely to listen to the athletic training staff than anybody else. They don't really care about... What you know, game day operations staff or sports information staff looks like, but they do listen to those athletic trainers. And if there's not enough for them to cover fall sports and spring sports at the same time, then it ain't going to happen. I, I do think there are some interesting logistics, uh, in addition to um,
1: just the, the athletic trainers. I do think that's the, that's probably the most important one, you know, for if they're going to try to run football uh, at, at a time where it's not usually run, but I think the, you know, the, you'll hear it throughout this podcast, coaches working multiple seasons, um, space on D three campuses, whether it's locker room space, field space, there are, there are a lot of things that are, that were set up assuming that football would always be in the fall spring sports would always be in the spring winter sports would always be in the winter and never the twain shall overlap. Yeah. I guess that's more than twain. I don't know. Um, And and I think we're past that now. And now we don't really know. Um, As you'll hear uh, Coach talk about later in in this uh, pod, you have to have multiple plans because uh, you don't want to get caught without a plan and you don't really know what to plan for. So at this point, you've got to have uh, separate ideas running concurrently as to when we may get to play again, if we get to play again. How many games you get to play when we do get to play again and, and how soon we'll get started so might as well get into all that uh with our interviews
0: Yep, we'll be talking with one coach who held spring practice online, another one who actually got four on-field practices in this spring, and then we'll be talking about the big picture of college and college athletics here headed into the summer. We'll be chatting with uh, Kyle Sweeney, uh, the head coach at Claremont Mudd Scripps. We'll be talking with Mike Turk, who's the uh, head coach at Huntingdon, And we'll be talking with Chris Basatsky, who's a former Division III assistant coach, a former Division III student-athlete who has been in higher education, in enrollment and financial aid, and is now consulting for schools large and small. I can say that I'm not allowed to name names, but some very prominent Division III schools, some of whom might wear a specific shade of a specific color, have have taken advantage of his consulting expertise. So we're going to do that as well coming up in just a minute. We'll be right back. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Kyle Sweeney, who's the head football coach at three schools, basically Claremont, Mud and Scripps, or you may know them as Claremont, Mudd, Scripps. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here today.
4: Thanks, Pat. I'm happy I can join you.
0: It is, uh, you know, we talk about this often, uh, Claremont, Mud and Scripps, and then Pomona and Pitzer share this uh, area, this uh, campus area in Claremont, California, where the two stadiums are what about two and a half blocks from each other. All of the campuses overlap. Students take classes in uh, like all of the schools for uh, lack of a better term. What is it like being part of that uh, part of that whole ecosystem?
4: It's a lot of fun. You know, as you say, it's so unique. It's really strange to be in the dining hall and all of a sudden see a T-shirt of your rival oh, yeah. um, or be walking across campus and you're seeing a, a rival coach give a tour. Um, that, that's a little bit of a different <laughs> build than what most people see. But, uh, you know, the students get really into it. The athletes get really into it. Uh, you know, great turnout for those games and uh, just a great history and competition. It's something that everybody looks forward to. I mean, we walk, we started a tradition when I got here nine years ago, when we play there, I mean, we warm up at our place and uh, get dressed at our place and then walk down the street. And there's just not a lot of places that can do that. Uh, it just, it's, it's a fun, fun rivalry.
0: I am still focused on the, the previous thing that you said. I'm trying to picture, you know, if I were the coach at, uh, at Kings and then I saw the Wilkes coach come and give a, a, a walkthrough of, you know, my campus, I, I that would be pretty disconcerting. <laughs>
4: Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. You know, Pomona's on one side of our campus and Pitzer is on the opposite side. So we sit in between. So if they're going to take somebody from one to the other, they've got to do their best to distract them while they get from one side to the other. Um, but it, it's interesting. It, it leads to a lot of really fun things. And uh, um, it does make it you know, just great because our, our guys know their guys. They've had class with them. Maybe they've even been in a group project with them or something like that. So really different environment, a little bit more so than maybe just knowing somebody from high school. You actually see them on a day-to-day basis. So you need to win that game because you're going to see them on Sunday in the dining hall.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what is a what what's the state of things right now in Southern California? You guys have been, you know, obviously in the news quite a bit because it has been a hot spot and now um I say we're recording this on the thirtieth of April. So who knows if things will change by the time people hear this, but uh, you know, what's it what, what's it looking like now?
4: Well, right now, you know, obviously it depends exactly on where you're at because has been a hot spot in a lot of different places. You know, as far as the colleges go, everybody's been off campus now for uh, several weeks and trying to communicate with our players remotely and through Zoom and that type of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the spirits are up and we're starting to hear the positive voices of, you know, maybe reopening at some point. Nobody's putting a date to that yet, obviously. But uh, I think there's starting to be some optimism that at some point this is going to uh, start to slow down and we'll have some positive, um,
0: you know, outcomes here shortly and, and actually be able to resume some campus life. How many like different sets of plans are you making for what the fall might look like? You know, I, I can only assume that, you know, you've got your what would be your normal preseason camp and normal schedule. And then you must, there must be a plan B and a plan C possibly. I'm just kind of curious yeah. what kind of things you guys are contingency planning for.
4: Yeah. You know, our colleges have taken the approach uh, with three plans. Basically uh, we're going to have the operate as normal. Everybody starts roughly on time and, and we can have a fairly as normal as possible uh, fall. We realize it wouldn't be exactly the same. Uh, Then you have the opposite extreme, which is everything's online in the fall, and and which classes are online for all the colleges. It probably does not bode well for athletics. Um, And then, you know, what we think is really going to happen might be somewhere in between, where either we have a late start or we have some form of modified fall semester. So we're trying to work through that. Obviously, that can mean a million things, and so trying to pin that down to exactly how to prepare is difficult. So. I think there's a good chance that this fall we do end up playing you know at least a conference schedule potentially we could get the full thing in but even if we start a little bit late um I think there's there's a reasonable chance we can get a couple months worth of games in and hopefully we can start on time and play them all but like in our case we're supposed to start on the road with two flights you know up to up to Portland and up to Spokane and uh are we really getting on an airplane in September you know time will tell I hope so um But uh, certainly, we all hope that there's going to be football this fall. More than anything, I think we're trying to just connect with people and make sure that you know everybody's doing okay emotionally, socially. Everybody's staying connected, not getting too isolated. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we can do that, then we'll be a little better geared to to handle whatever scenario does play out come fall.
0: How is that going? Uh, You know, keeping the keeping student athletes and keeping student athletes engaged right now in the off season, you know, remotely has to be a big challenge.
4: It is, you know, we just did our online spring practice, which was interesting. You know, the good news is we didn't drop a pass. We didn't miss (laughs) a tackle all all spring. So uh, we got a lot of meeting time and a lot more meeting time than we would have had. So from a football standpoint, we got to talk football and we did it as much because we felt like it was an opportunity to feel a little bit normal. And yes, it's online instead of sitting in the room, but everybody went home and for the most part, they're not getting to see their teammates and their friends and getting online a couple times and seeing each other's faces and letting them chat for a few minutes at the beginning, just to kind of let that organically take place and whatever jokes get told or comments get made. It's a little bit more like dorm life and being on campus and just keeping people's focus on getting back and staying healthy and obviously safety and welfare has got to be the number one thing, but it's tough in one sense, obviously for everybody. No, we're not getting to see our student athletes every day, but getting the chance to talk to them and then catching people one on one as as you can has has been really helpful. I
0: mean, you got guys coming from all over the place. Obviously, you know, very uh, Southern California focused, but you know, just looking through the roster, seeing you know guys from the rest of the West Coast states, and then you know, uh, places like Texas and Florida where D three schools uh, draw football players from and that sort of thing did everybody you know did everybody get home safely are they is are there people kind of sheltering in place in southern california how's that working out
4: fortunately everyone made it home safely so our at least from our team everyone is basically at home at this point or or somewhere where they chose to be um, and uh you know doing okay so obviously we've had some incidents just like everybody else whether it's family members and uh actually with The coronavirus or, uh, you know, some of the economic impacts that are coming from it, you know, that's going to be difficult on families. But the good thing is, by and large, our our student athletes are home with families and and in a safe place.
0: Um, What's the what's the team look like for next year? What are the things that you would have liked to have seen play out on a, a practice field this spring that you guys are going to have to deal with whenever camp opens?
4: Well, we certainly have some things to fix. You know, we were five and five last year. And so there's that means there's a lot of improvement to get better, a lot of room to get better. Um, you know, for us, our focus would have been on the passing game this year. We, we ran the ball fairly well the last couple of years. We've struggled in the passing game a little bit. Uh, so we were looking forward to, to get on the field and let those quarterbacks and receivers work together and really go back and reteach and uh, in some ways kind of start over. Um, it's same thing defensively, you know, we, we played okay, I think we finished third in the conference in scoring, but there's a lot of nuance there that can be improved. And so getting the guys out and letting them work it out and go through it another time always improves everyone. But, uh, you know, we look at it, we say, hey, these are the cards and everybody's got them. And hopefully we can figure out a way to do a little bit more in the off season or do a little bit better uh, and come out ahead.
0: Obviously a great season for Chapman last year in terms of the league. You guys, of course, won the league the year before and, you know, finished six and one in the league a, a couple years before that. It seems like the Skyac has, you know, over the last eight or, well, let's say let's limit it to the eight or nine years you've been in the league. There's been mm-hmm. a little bit of churn in terms of who the uh, contenders are in any given year. Absolutely.
4: That's, that's a great thing in this conference is you can go in and, Feel like uh, legitimately you've got a chance to win the conference if you work hard. If you've got your players on the right page, you've got that chemistry and a little bit of talent. You've got a shot. And uh, so we have had a different champion several years in a row. A couple of teams have won it a couple of times, but we haven't had any back-to-back champions in quite a while. So yeah, Chapman had a great year, getting uh, you know beating Wheat uh, Whitworth in the preseason and then Linfield in the playoffs and. Uh, Obviously, Redlands uh, did did well in their non conference and had Mary Harden Baylor in the playoffs. So I I was excited for our our conference last year. And those teams have a lot back for for this fall. So I would expect them to be very good again. And I think the rest of our conference should be in a pretty good position as well.
0: And in a year where, you know, a lot of guys who normally would have gotten a look from the league, uh, but did not get the opportunity to really work out for a lot of teams, there was one of, at the moment, just three signees as uh, undrafted free agents came from the sky act. What can you tell us a little bit about, you know, Jeff Hector, the cornerback for Redlands. And are you happy to have him out of the league now?
4: <laughs> very happy to have him out of the league. He's, he's an explosive player. Uh, certainly deserves to get picked up by Baltimore. Um, you know, he's a, a six foot corner uh, gets in and out of his breaks very quickly, very athletic, um, does a good job uh, in the pass game. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how how the next level goes for him. Uh, I think he's got some potential. It's obviously a big jump, but, um, you know, good player and, and really performed well, a bunch of interceptions. I think it was eight interceptions last year and a lot of pass breakups. So certainly on the stat sheet, it warrants it. Uh, but when you go back and you watch the film, he, he's explosive. And uh, I am more than happy to have him move on. <laughs>
0: Uh, before I let you go, I, I'm looking at you here on uh on this uh, on this Zoom call, and you've got this great background behind you. Uh, you know that people would not necessarily associate, I think, with uh, someone in the Los Angeles area. So tell us a little bit about what campus and what the backdrop looks
5: like.
4: Yeah, Claremont's in a really interesting place. We're about 30 miles east of downtown Los Angeles, and uh, we're right at the south edge of a, of a mountain range. And so when you sit at our field the temperature is Southern California, you know, it's warm. I've been sitting in my backyard for the last couple of weeks for the most part, if I when I'm not banished to the garage to do my work. And, uh, uh, but right next to our field is, uh, these beautiful mountains with snow on them. And so people come and they visit, and they're, they're usually pretty surprised. Like you say, uh, expecting nothing but palm trees, but instead they, they're sitting in the stands and it's 80 degrees and they're looking at snow on the mountains, uh, cause it snows about three miles from campus and, and, doesn't on campus. So it's really kind of a unique spot.
0: This is our guy who's doing the multiple plans, Keith. Uh, you know, when you are holed up at home and you don't have, uh, you know, guys coming into your office and you didn't have the opportunity to run whatever spring practices you can run in the skyack, there's a, obviously a lot of opportunity to do that planning. Yeah.
1: But to me, the most interesting thing from Coach Sweeney, aside from the uniqueness of campus and the weather there, was the need to have the three plans for the fall. When I talked to coaches last month, I think they were hesitant to complain about losing spring practice when basketball cut off before the Sweet 16 and spring sports lost entire seasons. Football has been hopeful that there will be a season in the fall. That interview, though, was the first time I pondered that there might be a season or a solution, but it could look different depending on which school or which conference decides to do what. As we back off state-driven stay-at-home orders and return decision-making power to individuals and local institutions, Could we see some teams play only conference games while other conferences bag the season or play with no fans allowed in stadiums? Could we see football approved to go full bore, but then some schools or teams in hot spots decline to participate? I think that plan A that Coach Sweeney talked about is the hope, but as a wise person once said, hope is not a strategy, and the reality might be plan B or C or some letter that we haven't considered yet.
0: You know, Coach talked about Uh, not wanting to or having thoughts about whether he would put his team in a plane. Uh, Rowan, you know, canceled its game with Linfield uh, already, even though, you know, it's a game that's not scheduled for another five months or so. That's another thing I think we could see. We might see if there are opportunities for teams to play games in September. Some of these games that are currently written in ink might be erased and might be replaced with uh, bus trips that are a little bit closer to home. Or, yeah, it actually really opens up a whole mess of what do you do if, okay, so the Sky Act plays football, but maybe, I don't know, I wouldn't want to name another conference right now. But, you know, some other conference decides not to um, and then does not send a, uh, a representative to, to the playoffs. We are recalculating how many Pool B and Pool C bids there are. Um, and everything kind of gets a little crazy in that longer conversation which I referenced uh, that uh, Dan Dutcher had with Dave McHugh uh, this might be another reason to listen to it because they talked about how the decision had to be made to close the spring sports and that was made fairly quickly but you know if they hadn't done that they could have been in a similar situation where some conferences might continue to play baseball or lacrosse or something like that and they would have to be making these, constant decisions on the fly. What we've done is we've kicked the can down the field a few months, but we might still end up with those same conversations in September and October.
1: Yeah. And, and if you really want to get into the the nitty gritty, the type of thing we like to do here on the podcast, I mean, imagine if you had a conference that plays seven conference games and and said, no non-conference travel. Yeah. And then you have maybe an Eastern or a Midwestern conference where all the games were going to be bus trips anyway. Um, so they didn't have to cancel games. You could have somebody nine and one on the table, somebody six and one. I mean, how do you judge that, right? Um, I, I it could really be it could really get interesting. and and if you want to get extra technical too, like if if it's okay for the a ninety person or hundred twenty man roster to be around each other yeah. right in a, a group larger than ten, why is it not okay for that group to go on a plane? I mean obviously there's there's science behind what what they air circulating between people is like on a plane. But I mean, we're going to have to draw the line somewhere. And and I don't think everybody is going to agree on where the line is because the circumstances aren't the same for everyone. I mean, uh, I don't know how, you know, a SUNY Maritime, if what's happening in New York was happening during football season, how does that team play, even if it's fine for a team somewhere else in the country to play. So I think you really have a lot of uncertainty, a lot of decisions that are gonna be made on the fly and and we just don't know until we know. And that's sort of the point.
0: Now in the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Mike Turk, the 16-year head coach of the Hawks of Huntington. Coach, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us here on this month's podcast.
2: Well, I appreciate you having us on very much. Uh, we, we have really enjoyed uh, what you guys have done for D3 uh, over the years, D3 football in particular. And uh, what a great resource for a guy like me who, uh, you know, I'd never been around Division three when I took the job at Huntington. And uh, you guys were, were the really the only source of information, uh, your website. And uh, so uh, it's been uh, it's been awesome and uh, following you guys and appreciate what you do.
0: Well, you're no longer new to Division three now, right? I mean, obviously, you're in you're in a part of the country where maybe, you know, people don't still know much about what NCA Division three is. But, uh, you know, you've had the opportunity over the course of the past uh, decade plus to get in there, get some teams in the playoffs, get some teams traveling and uh, kind of see what Division three is all
2: about. Yeah, uh, it's, it's been uh, the, the, over the 16 years, which is obviously a long time. Um, but when, when I first got there, we, we had to explain Division Three When we were recruiting kids, we had to explain the the model of Division Three and, and what it was about. No one really knew much about it. There was not a lot of D3 football in the South, uh, none in Alabama or in Georgia. And uh, we, uh, you know, fortunately, there are some more teams that are playing in the South now, and that's made it easier uh, for us from a rivalry uh, perspective and from a travel perspective. Uh, but uh, not, we no longer, at least, have to explain uh, what Division Three is, you know. And uh, that uh, the two the two biggest hurdles we had uh, early in the process were explaining Division Three and explaining that Huntingdon was no longer an all-girls school. Oh. But because it was for the longest time, and 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 that's what it was known for. Uh, it, it, you know, gosh, uh, around. Uh, uh, it, it's been a long, long time since it's been uh, co-ed, uh, but uh, uh, it's been uh, it's been a quite a, a fun experience uh, watching uh, our program grow and watching Division three football in the South grow
0: you guys are coming off a, a season you are, you guys were coming off a season where you guys had struggled a little bit and then you kind of struggled out of the gate too. Although obviously losing at Oshkosh is no, you know, is nothing to hang your head about. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you feel about the state of the program, kind of just like momentum, how you guys have done over the last year plus now that you're coming off a, a season with a, not only a playoff appearance, but a playoff victory.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you feel good about that, obviously. Um, we uh, – our, our season last year was, was one that, uh, I don't know, you, you, you look back and you enjoy all the teams that you've had and, uh, and certainly all the ones that have won championships. But uh, that group probably came from as far, you know, back in the pack to, to where it got to as any I've ever been around. And, uh, you know, it's just a credit to the guys. Uh, we were one and two at, at, at one point. And had given up uh, over forty points in each of our first three ball games. Yeah. and uh, You know, at, at, we're, we're at that point. You know, probably going to be a long year. And uh, our guys kept coming to work. Our coaches kept coaching them. And uh, uh, we we turned it around. Uh, you know, won a couple of games, got some momentum going, and uh, and then won some really big games down the stretch. And. Uh, you know that of course uh, included the, the, the ball game at Barry in the first round of the playoffs and and uh, and then of course we went to, went to Mary Hard Baylor in the second round and uh, there's there's a lot of teams have gone there to, to end their season you know sure. over the years. but uh, uh, I, I've never been prouder of a group of guys. Uh, I can tell you that and uh, feel good about uh, the future as well.
0: on our last podcast, we talked with uh, you know coaches who were trying to get, their spring work done, trying to get spring plans out to their student athletes at the very beginning of you know things being shut down during this pandemic, and now you know we are, I don't know, depending on your part of the country, maybe you're five or six weeks into this, um, yep. but my understanding is that this is your first Zoom call ever. So
2: <laughs> that's correct.
0: With that in mind, I just uh, curious to ask, you know, how do you keep in touch with your student athletes? What's the interaction? You know, how? And and how do the you know how do the how do the student athletes feel right now? How do you you and your assistants feel about you know where things are at right now?
2: Right. Well, we have uh, you know most of our coaches are doing Zoom meetings with the guys just just really to to stay in touch. Um, we were two weeks into our spring uh, when when the, the shutdown happened. And uh, so we, we had gotten, you know, a few things done, obviously, and a few practices in. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, when you're, when you're talking about uh, really only four, four practices on the field, uh, we didn't get a whole lot out of that. And uh, uh, so uh, we, have, we have, you know, tried our best to stay in touch with our position group guys. And, and uh, we, we do a, a conference call, a weekly conference call with the coaching staff. Uh, to mainly focus on recruiting and to, to see where we are there. Uh, you know, over the course of, and of course, that's a, a whole nother topic for discussion with campus being shut down. Nobody can visit campus. And, and, uh, so we're trying to do those things virtually and through, through Zoom and, and through, uh, uh FaceTime or whatever the case may be, whatever method, uh, you know, works the best. Uh, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been really crazy uh, for, for everyone, you know, not just us, obviously. And uh, I've, I've, you know, told our staff on the front end of this that, um, you know, the restaurants that figure out how to survive through this and do business a different way and, and all that are going to be the ones that come out on the other end of it smelling like a rose. And the football programs that, that you know, figure out the best way to navigate this along the way are going to be the ones that then end up in the best shape when it's all said and done. So uh, that's a daily process. You know, everything changes uh, so rapidly, um, you know, with decisions that are being made about things that are being opened and things that are closed. And, and uh, it's just hard to know. Uh, It's hard to make any plans uh, for the, for the immediate future, certainly, uh, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, as far as getting kids on campus or, or even getting the staff back together. So, uh you know we 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 have huddle and uh huddle has uh allowed us to you know i can message the entire football team uh and do so
0: okay
2: they interact No, the guys interact on huddle as well and uh, our team chaplain has been sending out uh, a bible verse every single day and, and so um, we're doing the best we can man it's just uh it's really uh Times like these, you you realize as a football coach, you realize why you do what you do. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with football. It's it's more about being around those guys every day and, and watching them grow up. And uh, so that that will uh, that will really honestly get to you if you let it. You know, not being able to you know interact with them face to face and and, uh, and and all that. That's the uh, that's the thing that that I've struggled with the most, to be honest with you uh, is, uh, just, I just miss the guys and, uh, miss, miss my coaches and, and miss players and, and, uh, all the, you know, the other coaches at Huntington and the faculty and, you know, our, our, our cafeteria at lunchtime is a, is a, just a reunion every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just, we, we haven't, we haven't been there in about five weeks now. And so it, uh, it will get to you if you let it. So we're trying to stay busy and, uh, and trying to do as much recruiting, you know, obviously virtually or over the phone or through text message or whatever as we possibly can to, to you know, keep the wheels turning.
0: Yeah, because, you know, there are a lot of schools in Division three that are heavily dependent on the enrollment of football players to kind of keep the doors open. And I would think that Huntingdon, where I would guess you guys are probably somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of the student body and probably 30 percent of all the men on campus um, you know, really cannot afford to not have a football season or not have a football team of some sort right now.
2: Well, uh, that's you know one of the main reasons they started football. Uh, yeah. That was was for enrollment uh, purposes. Uh, I, I think the residual effects uh, of the program, you know, the the game days on campus are, are really a lot of fun now. Uh, students have really gotten into you know uh, being there and supporting the guys and and all that, but. The, the reality is uh, that's why we have sports, you know, is to create enrollment, and uh, so uh, it's very challenging for all of us right now. There's a lot of a lot of uh, difficult times uh, around the country with people getting laid off and and all that. And when kids are paying their own way, uh, you know, um, and a parent loses a job, it can affect uh, whether or not they're able to come back to school. So, um, you know that those are all things that uh, will clear themselves up i'm sure over the next couple months and and uh, you just cross your fingers and and, and hope uh, for the best because uh, there are a lot of people hurting right now
0: yeah fingers crossed and and prayers up for sure um yeah. y- you mentioned you had a handful of practices, which uh, was a surprise to me. It did not occur to me, but it makes sense that in, you know, the warmer parts of the country, some yeah. schools might indeed have started spring ball before, you know, March 12th or 15th or 17th yeah. or whenever everybody uh, closed their various doors. So yeah, I know you mentioned you weren't able to learn a whole lot, but you have a, you know, a, a situation where you'll need a new quarterback this season. Uh, right. After having a, a senior run the show last year. So what is that? Uh, what what were you able to learn in the course of a handful of practices? If anything?
2: Well, I, I, I do think in, in the course of the four practices that we did have, uh, I, I think we were able to narrow it down to to a couple of guys. And uh, so that that's helpful, um, you know, going into training camp, um, you know, if we it, 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 there's been times when, when we didn't have it narrowed down. Uh, that, that finally, even, even though we had a spring. And, uh, so, um, it's really hard to get, uh, more than two guys reps, you know, yeah. uh, to, to see which, which one needs to be, uh, you know, uh, leading the show. Uh, but, uh, you know, thankfully we were able to do that. And, uh, and, you know, we'll, uh, hopefully when we, when we get back to work in August, um, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, some things to go off of as far as, that. you know, we, we did lose our quarterback and that's obviously a big part of it, but we lost a bunch of other skill, uh, especially receivers. And, and uh, so, you know, th- this was probably not my favorite year. There, there have been years when we had a lot of guys back that I, if we would have, you know, gotten spring pulled from us, uh, it wouldn't have been as big a deal, but uh, uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, causing me to scratch my head a little bit more uh, this time of year, uh, we would be done with our spring now and, and actually uh, getting ready for final exams. And, you know, we'd have a lot of those decisions made. So uh, going to gonna just push that back a little bit. And uh, we'll have to, you know, we, we, we already uh, are, are pushed for time in August, you know, when training camp rolls around. Uh, because of the the short window we have before we play, yeah. uh, but uh, it'll be uh, it we'll we'll have to be very efficient this fall for sure.
0: Well, and let's say it's not August. Let's say that we don't get to we don't get the go ahead to come back until sometime in September or something like that. What's like yeah. the shortest possible? schedule that one could have that is meaningful like how many games would we have to get in do you think in order to have well a I, season? I,
2: that's that's a good question that's hard for me to say um i haven't really given that much thought uh, uh to something like that although i've heard it discussed uh bannered back and forth and and whatnot mostly at the division one level you know when they're when they're they're talking on the radio the radio shows you know generally speak about that level but mm-hmm. uh in our case, you know, it would be difficult if we weren't able to play at least uh, our conference schedule. Um, you know, it would it would uh, be hard to determine a champion and 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 whatnot if uh, if we didn't each play each other. And uh, so, in our case, that would be a uh, a seven game schedule. You know, uh, we would need to be able to play. Um, you know, I don't know how much flexibility there is with the, the playoff format and and all that. Uh, you know, people people that uh, are smarter than me are going to have to figure all that out. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty good about showing up and, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, playing the hand that's dealt. And uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much what we'll do.
1: To hear Coach Turk talk about missing the players and coaches and the interactions, I think that's probably relatable for almost everyone listening to this podcast, whether it's players and coaches or those of us who miss going to work or whatever groups we associated with in our free time. Whether it's your football team or the guys at your local bar or VFW or youth sports or choir or church, everybody can feel that difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I thought um, most interestingly was the difference between what Coach Sweeney was talking about and what Coach Turk was talking about. Like we said in the interview, this was Mike Turk's first Zoom call. Um, and I can imagine that you, you're taking a you know a group of 247 people who are of varying technical levels, and you're probably going to have you know a, a a lot of guys on some sort of spectrum of technological expertise and and comfort with technology. I just found that pretty interesting.
1: Well, I feel like Zoom is becoming Google or or Uber when where it, it rep- the brand name replaces the word of. <laughs> of the uh, thing and like the secondary brand is like, like, you know, like WebEx or Skype is like, hey, what didn't we used to be, uh, you know, the, st- the standard bearer in this area, but it, it does seem to be uh, that everybody is Zooming. Take that FaceTime.
0: Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Chris Pisatsky. Chris Pisatsky, a uh, former Division Three coach of another sport, but a longtime observer of uh, higher education and now a consultant uh, and a uh, you know a former uh, person who's worked in enrollment management and has advised schools, large and small, about where they fit in higher education. And it, we thought it would be important and useful to bring you on, Chris, to talk about uh, some of the issues right now in higher education with uh, COVID nineteen and where schools are headed, but I've introduced you and not given you an opportunity to say hello yet.
5: Well, thanks a lot, Pat. I uh, I'm a longtime fan of yours and of D three football, D three hoops. Uh, I was a Division three basketball player, Division three uh, college basketball coach. Um, many of my clients are Division three schools, small Nais as well. Um, so. Yeah, we're it's it's interesting times we're living in, and I I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about the state of higher education, um, not just with COVID nineteen and athletics, but generally across the United States.
0: Yeah, and we have, are in an off season, or well, yeah, an off season in which we've already had one school that uh, sponsors Division three football that has announced that it will close at the end of the year. I think we very narrowly avoided having two uh, non-football D3 schools closed down. And that may still happen. And we've had more than a half dozen over the course of the last few years closed down. I know you and I have talked about this, and Keith and I have talked about this on this podcast, that it seems like there are more schools uh, than there needs to be, for lack of a better term,
5: uh, in, in the landscape in general. I think you have to look at higher education, as having been built around the baby boom generation and the capacity that these institutions have is built around that 1970s, 1980s uh, population. Now we're seeing declining numbers of 18 year olds graduating from high school just because of ethno demography. And really the only population among 17, 18 year olds that's increasing is Latinx students. And we've done a lousy job as a nation getting Latinx students to go to college. So we were already looking at a 30 percent decline in the number of human beings that were going to go to college between now and 2040. And then this happens.
0: Where does the pinch point come? I mean, I, obviously, schools are already feeling it. You know, we, we know that schools have had to refund room and board, and that is a place where a lot of schools kind of stay afloat this time of year. So where do we think that uh, you know some of these things are going to shake out?
5: Well, there's a couple of different problems. The first is in the markets, um, you know, when you've got these small colleges that are spending some of their endowment. If I look at, you know, the final top 25 pool for football and the final top 25 pool for basketball, there's three or four schools on each of them that I know are spending down their endowment um, in order to help make ends meet. Uh, so if, if those schools are doing that and then they're seeing a 30 percent reduction in their, um, in their capital. Um, They're going to have that much less to spend next year. Um, Many of those schools spend that money on student scholarships. Um, And so when you're looking at the amount that these places have invested and that is dropping off, that's one huge problem. The second is you have to think about, so there are three kind of prongs to enrollment at higher education. One is new student enrollment. You know, how do we get new bodies in here every year? Mm -hmm. The second is transfer student enrollment. And the third is retention. Yeah, And retention is the one that people forget about, but it's the one that's most in, in, uh, in, in danger right now because we don't know how sticky these learning uh, mechanisms that we're using in terms of distance learning and Zoom and you know virtual classroom, Schoology, all that kind of stuff. We don't know how sticky that is in terms of encouraging students to return to school for the fall Um, all of the social aspects around being in college, you know, the really cool stuff about why you go to school are, is, is absent. Um, so retention is something that I, you know, if I were a college president and I just, just got off the phone with a college president, um, that's the thing that I'm most worried about is how are we going to retain the kids that we've already recruited? And then when you look at, you know, small division three schools where maybe 30% or 40% of the population play uh, football. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big problem because right now, I mean, you know, yesterday you have, and obviously it's D1, it's not D3, or this week you have the the UConn president, Tom uh, Katsilius, talking about that there won't be uh, football this fall, that, right. you know, fall sports will be canceled. Um, so that's one of the major Division one programs in the country talking about canceling fall sports. Yeah. Um, and you got to figure if, UConn's talk, if the UConn president is talking about that, every other football president in the country is looking at, you know, what do we do with those 30 or 40 percent of our population who play football? And what's the likelihood that they're going to come back where they're going to come as a first year transfer student if we don't offer football in the fall?
0: Do you hear anything from uh, Division Three schools about, you know, what they think the state of football or enrollment or opening their campus or, you know, even the timing at which some of those decisions might have to be made?
5: So Inside Higher Ed, which is a, uh, an online newspaper for higher ed professionals... Uh, published a blog this week talking about 15 different options that college presidents have been talking about in terms of what we're going to do in the fall. Um, Beloit College and a few others this week announced that they would do seven-week mini-terms, start one, you know, the beginning of September, the end of August, and then maybe if that one can't go, you know, you still still have the opportunity to offer a seven-week mini-master that starts in late October or something like that. I think the delay of the the fall semester is something that we've got to really get our arms around. The folks that i talked to at the NCAA and some of the governing uh, boards, regional accrediting councils, are talking about mid-June being kind of a time when we've either got to go or no go on making these kinds of decisions for August, Um, and frankly, you know, division three isn't what's going to drive this division one is going to drive the decision um we've already lost all of our our division one ncaa men's basketball revenue for the year a lot of that money funds division three operations um so we have to think about the fact that the ncaa is operating you know from home like you and i are on a much reduced budget um and a lot of the things that we take for granted about you know August 10th football camp opens. <laughs> that's not too that's not too far from here right. and we don't have anybody on those campuses right now.
0: Uh, yeah, good point. And, uh, you know, there's obviously been talk about could we play football? Could we play fall sports in the spring? But elsewhere in this podcast, we have uh, the vice president for Division Three, Dan Dutcher, kind of suggesting that that's not real feasible. And I think those of us who have worked at Division Three institutions know that staffing fall sports in the spring along with spring sports is pretty uh, uh, impossible.
5: Right. I mean, when I when I worked at my first D3 school, I was an admissions officer as well as coaching football and lacrosse, not sports that I knew a whole lot about. But, um, you know, you wore as many hats as they could they could put on your head. Um, And a lot of small schools are like that, where the football coach is also the baseball coach or the football coach is the athletic director or, you know, the basketball coach is the assistant athletic trainer. Um, So, you know, these folks have plenty of work to do. Uh, And moving an entire season, especially facility, you know, in terms of facility availability is just about impossible.
0: All right. If you have if you if you have clients talking to now about these kind of questions or just big picture, you know, where do you know, where do they fit in the in the college landscape right now? What kind of advice are you giving out Uh, if you know whatever the free version is that you could share with us?
5: Uh, sure. Not the $250 an hour version. No problem. Um, so, you know, generally it's to listen to your experts. Colleges are filled with experts in, in a lot of different areas. Many of them think they're more expert than, than they are. Um, you know, leaving campus and listening to advice from other businesses, other organizations, government, uh, is, is tremendously important right now. Listening to, you know, paying very close attention to the morbidity curves the infection curves and what the likelihood is that we're going to be able to get through this over the course of the next couple of months um, that doesn't mean that we're back to normal it means we're back to the new normal there's no way to do a football uh, camp with six foot social distancing you know <laughs> I don't I, I don't know any blocking drills for six foot social distancing uh, but what we, you know what I think, presidents need to do, college athletic directors need to do is look at what the most important things are right now, and that's that our kids are healthy, our kids are able to come back to campus, our kids, when that's appropriate, and that if it's not appropriate for them to come back to campus, that we offer the best learning opportunities that we can and the best student-athlete opportunities that we can until we can get back to you know, playing uh, on our fields and, and courts. and. And working in our classrooms and labs, you know, I think that one of the things that we have to talk about, that somebody should talk about, and I might not be the right person; it might be somebody else, um, is creating social experiences for student athletes um, in this in this void. Um, and that's something that I think is missing right now. That the you know, coaches are good at working with with kids kind of on a one-on-one or on a ten-to-one basis or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's really, really hard in this distributed learning model to do coaching. The hardest part of of coaching through the COVID-19 thing from the colleagues that I've talked to is that for for a month or so, we thought this was going to be a six-week kind of thing. Now it's talking about a six-month or a year kind of thing. Are we going to miss all of our season? How do we keep kids engaged in the class? You know, the work that we do with our kids on a week to week basis as coaches um, to keep them engaged in the classroom, to keep them involved in campus, we can't do any of that right now. So coaches are having to reach out individually and they're doing Zoom meetings and all of these different kinds of activities just to try to keep their team together. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of Division three kids who're first gen first generation col- uh, college students who don't have the best internet connection at home and they're watching this on their phone um, well you know we've got to do everything possible to make sure that those kids continue to be invested in their education um, division three is about participation it's about graduation um, it's about you know being a student athlete uh, and it's really really hard right now for coaches to continue to engage their student athletes when we don't know where the you know we don't know where the finish line is
0: People who want to contact you and uh, inquire about your services, how do they find you?
5: Cavalier92.com.
0: Keith, Chris is smart about so many things that I will never understand, including some of the things we just talked about, also including zone defense in basketball. But uh, I digress. Uh, I thought it was good to have this expertise just to hear from someone in higher ed who's going to be closer to a lot of the decisions that are actually going to impact fall sports and you know, winter sports and possibly spring sports in 2021 for that matter. Yeah, I think he, he had a, a, a much better grasp on
1: the, the nuances that affect uh, colleges than, than either you or I do. And I think we're all coming to grips with, with what Chris said, that we're not going back to normal, but back to a new normal. And he makes great points about retention and replacing the social experiences that are so integral to enjoying team sports and college in general. I think this particular episode of the podcast is almost an okey-doke followed by a sucker punch. We tuned in to talk football, and suddenly we're faced with profound questions about the future of education and our lives, and we don't have answers necessarily, and that could be pretty daunting.
0: Did I pull a little rope-a-dope on you? Is that what I did? Ooh. Keith, I think the last time I watched a boxing match, you and I were in the same room together.
1: Oh, my goodness. What match was it?
0: (laughs) I was hoping you would remember. Uh, some pay- was it the tri-
1: was it the Trinity
0: that trip, Trinity Miracle Day? No, man, it was uh, it was at your place. We had a bunch of uh, people from the newspaper over. Um, I think we played poker, played cards, and oh, and we pay per viewed Flo- the, the the fight. Some fight. Flo's car got towed. Beep, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's, all, that's all I remember about that day. <laughs> uh, I felt really bad. Uh, sorry about the digression there, but uh, yeah, it is. Um, the big question as to how you retain these kids, how you retain their attention. Um, you know, I was talking with a couple of other coaches off the air, as it were, not as part of recordings, but let's just use Claremont Mud Scripts as an example or Claremont McKenna or Harvey Mudd or whatever. Um, you know, people who have enrolled for that kind of school I think are going to show up. And it probably will show up, you know, even if it's another semester of online learning because if you've made a decision to go to one of the elite liberal arts colleges in the nation, you've probably done so with an eye on your education and, and football may be more of a sidelight. But, you know, if you're some other, you know, uh, uh, any of a, a hundred other uh, private schools or a bunch of the state schools in Division three, and, you know, you've enrolled specifically because you have an opportunity to finish and continue your football career, maybe those guys don't come back in the fall And, you know, if if you're a school the size of, well, we'll use McMurray because, you know, they've just gone through this. Um, You know, you don't have that uh, full incoming class of 60 football players or something like that. That's a really big dent to the bottom line and makes it really difficult to stay open this fall. Well, I certainly think we'll find out who... Came to school to to be about school and, and who
1: came for the social life and and maybe play some football, but I also have a little counterpoint for you as a parent of teenagers and you being a parent of of both uh, teenagers and college student yeah. can uh, can attest to this. These are kids that are used to being online, that are used to talking to their friends uh, a significant amount of the day on on Facetime. You know the thing I'll never understand as an old person is is how they just have FaceTime on while they're doing nothing. Yeah. Not even necessarily talking to each other. You know like they might be cooking or you know brushing their teeth and like the FaceTime's on. i will be like, "Don't you just I'd be like, hang up and call back, you know, but but they just are used to having screens on and interacting that way. So maybe this won't have that dramatic uh, an effect on on the students who are who are going through learning online now, but I do think missing that social life and uh, you know, if if the football team was a huge part of your identity, and suddenly you don't get to be around those guys, um, and or you know, if it was a fraternity or some other group on campus that you were really attached to, and we go into the fall wondering um, whether we'll be on campus, it's certainly possible that it has a, has a big effect on how many people will choose to come back, especially because it's not cheap.
0: No, it is not.
5: Now's the time on sprockets when we dance. <laughs>
0: Now is the time of the podcast where we dive into Twitter. We know that it's the off-season. You probably have more questions this off-season than any other. It certainly seems like the most questions we've ever gotten on a uh, Thursday afternoon in April. So when we threw out that reminder for for you guys to hit us up when uh, Keith and I are headed into the studio. The question that i really resonated with uh, and that was actually the first one in the box came from andrew olson at ao minnesota who asked what non-conference rivalry game would you start or bring back if you were the all-powerful scheduling czar first off i really want to be the all-powerful scheduling czar
1: and that'd be fun um is it is it poor taste to say St. John's and and
0: St. Thomas? They're not non conference, but <laughs> They're not that's a rivalry I'd pre- I'd preserve if I was the all all powerful. <laughs> They're not non conference yet. Let's put it that way. For example, when the NESCAC closed itself off to outsiders, there were a lot of interesting rivalries that got broken up. The the one that comes to mind that I still hear about is Middlebury used to play Norwich. Those are uh, two Division three football teams in Vermont. Oh, you think about when uh Depa left the SCAC and then the SCAC eventually uh fractured kind of down the middle but that Trinity Depa game uh there were a ton of really good and intense and important games between Trinity and Depa Yeah I think there are two major categories that these fall into Pat where the
1: the, the where it just makes so much geographic sense These schools are close to each other. They recruit the same type of kids. Why don't they play? And then there are the ones like Trinity and DePaul, which, you know, Trinity is in San Antonio, Texas. DePaul is in Indiana. So they didn't have any kind of geographic rivalry. But because they were longtime members of the SCAC, and if you're uh, brand new to, to D3 football, you may not even know what that is. It's sort of the precursor to the SAA um it, they they were built on competitive rivalry so many years the conference championship came down to that game or at least the the who went to the playoffs was influenced by that game and it, it was never the most important game on DePaul's schedule rivalry wise because they have the big rivalry with uh with Wabash and that's a big reason why uh, the tigers are now in the North Coast Conference the NCAC instead of the SCAC um but yeah, there, there are really some some good rivalries like that that we'd probably want to bring back that were just built on on competitiveness. And then there's maybe like a, a 2.5 class of rivalry where uh, it's not a rivalry because uh, it's never happened and we'd love to see these games played.
0: Yeah, if I think about the the game that would most exemplify that for me, uh, I know we've talked about it on this podcast before, but we have yet to see uh, Northwest Conference team play Mount Union. Uh, You know, Pacific Lutheran didn't get Mountain Union in the 1999 Stag Bowl because uh, Mountain Union couldn't get past Rowan. Uh, You know, Linfield and Mountain Union have missed each other multiple times. Uh, 2004, Mountain Union couldn't get past Mary Harden Baylor when Linfield made it to the Stag Bowl. And there's been a bunch of times where Linfield, of course, has not made it to the Stag Bowl and Mountain Union has. I just feel like that is like the one big piece that we have yet to see. And if I had only one, you know, one card to play or one, you know, set of chips to put on the table, this is the square I would put it on.
1: Yeah. I mean, of, of the dominant purple powers of the, the past 20 years and, uh, or at least 15 years, right. Going back, you know, there's been one or two purple teams in every stag bowl. Uh, as long as you're counting Mer- Mary Harden Baylor as one of those, Uh, purple teams instead of a yellow team you got mountain union and whitewater of course they met for you know uh, nine of ten years straight in the stag bowl then you have mary harden baylor which won a couple national championships st thomas which appeared in two stag bowls linfield which won a stag bowl in that time and uh really of that group they've all played each other uh except that linfield and and mountain union have never met and and The years when Linfield has been really good, especially some of the quarterback driven years, whether it was um, Sam Riddle or Brett Elliott or some of the other high powered offenses they had, you really would have loved to see them go against the great Mountain Union defenses.
0: Yeah, Linfield has, you know, um, has lost some of those games to St. Thomas. They've lost them to Mary Harden Baylor. They've lost them to UW Whitewater. Uh, You mentioned, you know, all of these other teams have played each other, right? Uh, St. Thomas versus Whitewater in the playoffs, St. Thomas versus. Mountain Union in the Stag Bowl. Uh, St. Thomas at uh, Mary Harden-Baylor got knocked out of the playoffs a couple of years ago. St. Thomas and Linfield have gone uh, in the play- in the playoffs. Linfield and Mary Harden-Baylor. Mary Harden-Baylor in Mountain Union. I think every, yeah, every one of those is connected, except we have yet to see the Linfield-Mountain Union game, and that's a game that I would go see no matter where it was at. Hey, Pat, there's one major game that
1: was broken up by conference movement. That, we, that you and I would, would just have to bring back
0: if we were given this sort of power. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, I have a sneaking suspicion that someone may have dubbed it the Guru Bowl at some point.
1: Yeah, I don't know who who gave it that crazy name, but uh, but it does it did have a really nice history, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s uh, in the ODAC. We're talking about Pat's alma mater, Catholic University of America out of Washington, D.C., and, and my alma mater ran off Macon College. From Ashland, they famously played the the uh, most high scoring and last uh, tie in uh, Division Three of the last year that ties were allowed. They had 50-50 tie in '96, uh, and they played a lot of games that came down to uh, to late in the fourth quarter. Uh, featured big comebacks in the in the late '90s, early 2000s, and Catholic for a time was a uh, was an East Coast powerhouse and a, and a perennial playoff team. So those games were, were really important. Well, now they're just important to us.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and there was no Catholic Randolph Macon game in twenty nineteen, which broke a string of you know somewhere in the realm of about thirty years or so. I don't quite remember when uh, our alma Alma's mater started playing each other again. Keith, I got to tell you though, uh, those twenty twenty schedules are out, and if we play games on September twelfth, then Catholic and Randolph Macon are scheduled to play each other.
1: And on a small scale, this fit both of our criteria. Catholic and Randolph Macon were usually at about the same place competitiveness wise. And then it just made too much sense geographically, about an hour and a half up I 95 from DC to the Richmond area, or down, as it were.
0: Yeah, if I could, uh, you know, get any of my cassette tapes, some of which are here in my office, uh, including that uh, 1995 uh, game in which Catholic came back from 12 to tie with a two point conversion late in the fourth quarter. It is in my mind and Ray Martel's mind, who was uh, my kind of broadcast partner and producer at the time, uh, a very memorable instance in which the guy who I had to have do color that day, because you know Keith does color when I do play-by-play now, but Keith was on in uniform that day. Uh, this guy just stomped all over the game-tying two-point conversion, and it's still in my head. Thank you, Chris Stengel and this was around the nation podcast number 274 released late in the evening on april 30th of 2020 thanks for listening and keep an eye out for the rest of this coverage throughout the off season no matter how long the off season is we will be here i would say though like if the off season goes like 18 months uh we may have to find some way to fund that we will still be here but if you like this podcast Please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts because that will help other football fans find it. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman, production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and a lot of the other music used in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com, as well as on Spotify. Thanks to our guests, Kyle Sweeney, Mike Turk, and Chris Basotsky for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. So we're in the off-season, but keep an eye out on the website because there's still new content on a regular basis, and you will still find a new podcast in this feed from us each month, even if it is sometimes in the very last hours of that month.
1: Thanks for not saying I was on the field that day, but I was in uniform.
0: Well, it's true, very... man. I, as a, Especially as a guy who played defense, I know that I would not want to throw you under the bus for the – particularly unimpressive way that uh, the Macon defense played that day.
1: There we Yep, yep, yep. We ran a lot of laps for that. It was famously 50 51 uh, 50 10s or fifty one hundred 100 yard dashes and of course like around 24, 26 he started getting bored with running so he started making up stuff and he was like do wheelbarrows and do uh, duck walks. We duck walked 100 yards. It was... Uh, so, again, I didn't give up any touchdowns in that game, but I got to suffer the full, full breath of the punishment, and I will always remember that.
5: There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.